players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Ghost Quarter, Dark Confidant, Punishing Fire, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live and TheEpicStorm.com. Welcome to episode 13 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. My name is Anurag Das, and today I'm here with Brian Cook and Wilson. Wait, where's Wilson? Hello, friends. Wilson? Hello, friends. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is that is that Eddie? Eddie Zamora? What's up, Eddie? Welcome, welcome back. For, for friends of the... For listeners of the cast, if you don't recall, Eddie was with us in episode six where we talked about streaming, and today... We have an exciting topic that I think Eddie has more of an opinion on, but we'll get into it after these first quick hits. So, as usual, the quick hits begin with our donations, and I'd like to say thank you to my man, Dick Fisher, with the $25.69 donation. Thank you so much, Dick. And then we also have a couple of heavy hitters, Marshall Arthurs, with a $50 donation. Marshall, thank you so much. And then Henrik Korkuk and Jordan Wood. Also with the donations, appreciate it very much. Guys, I want to say thank you so much. These donations go strictly into editing the podcast. Um, I tried to do it before. Uh, it, it's tough. It's hard. So we hired a fantastic editor by the name of Phil Blackman. Uh, what's his Twitter handle again? At Force of Phil. A classy too. And I think he's also one of the hosts for the Eternal Struggle. Eternal Dirtles? Oh, shit. Wow, <laughs> Phil. You, feel free to make Anurag look like a clown. What the hell are you doing up there, you clown? You really think you can defeat me with attacks like those? <laughs> Not good enough, Kakarot! Yeah. Is that all you got? <laughs> oh, God. We're going we're gonna to axe that part out, right? Uh, that's where the dollars go. That's why our podcast sounds so clean and crisp. Uh, that being said, let's move on to uh, the next section. What's going on, guys? Hi. Um, not much. You know, just working and playing Magic. Um, about to head out to uh, Grand Prix Las Vegas, actually. You guys caught me right as I was going to head out in a little bit. Can I guess your modern deck? Sure. Is it humans? It's not, because I'm not playing modern. <laughs> Ding! And that's the correct play. I'm actually going to Vegas as well, but I'm leaving tomorrow morning, and I'm also not playing modern. I'm going to go Friday, basically just... Have a good time with friends. Uh, probably playing like a legacy side event or two and then playing the PTQ on Saturday. Is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah. Yes, that is my plan is to just hang out with people and play legacy whenever I can, especially the MCQ. But full disclosure, um, I did bring the cards for modern humans as well in case I audible to play the GP last minute, But that, which means I only had to bring like 15 more cards. It was fine. Eddie, you recently top aided the MCQ, correct? I did. Yeah. Uh, top aided with uh, tried and true humans. And uh, it was awesome. It's funny. I lost to the um, the blue white stone blade player who ended up winning the event who I had beaten earlier in the Swiss rounds. 
So it was uh, definitely poetic justice to have lost to the person who won the whole event after having beat them earlier in the tournament. Well, that, that's still like good, right? That your deck can keep up. Uh, I mean, what was your loss in the Swiss? Uh, my loss was to Mono Red Stompy. It seems not good for the deck with all five color basics or five color lands. Yeah, it's it's definitely a rough matchup, but I think it's not as bad as people would think. I think a lot of people think it's like lights out, Blood Moon has resolved, they lose. But we play Noble Hierarchs and Ether Vials, and Ether Vial doesn't care what color creatures are. They get put into play either way. I could see it being a little bit swingy, maybe a little play draw dependent, but I mean, you know more about that than I do. So there's the top eight for the Legacy MTQ. Brian, have you been up to anything? Not really. I've just been playing a lot of Magic Online. I'm kind of getting that itch to play in a big event again. So I'm like really, really looking forward to Star City Games Syracuse and Magic Fest Atlanta, Georgia. I actually just booked my flight to Atlanta this week. And then you'll be ready to not play another big event for a year or something, right? I mean, that's just legacy. There are actually two more online events too, like in the first week of September. I don't know. This isn't in the show notes. I'm just like newsflash but there's the i think there's like the mox playoff and then there's also like the format challenge all in one weekend the first weekend of february sorry september holy moly uh that's like four big events coming up there's gonna be a lot of legacy content a lot of legacy data um and speaking of which uh i did do coverage with the wonderful at watchwolf 92 aka jonathan sakanik for the eternal weekend asia legacy portion we only did the Swiss rounds, but I don't know, it was just like eye-opening experience to do coverage of uh, a big, a large Japanese event. I think there was like over 200 decks at least. Depths ended up doing really, really well at that event. And I have a feeling that it's really well positioned right now. Uh, but the coverage is super awesome. You can find it on my YouTube page or on uh, my the VODs for my Twitch channel, both on Z104. Speaking of socials, Eddie, plug me. What's what, which, Where are you at? You can find me under Yo Soy Easy, most socials and Twitch. There is an underscore before the Easy on Twitter, though. Yo Soy underscore Easy. But I'm also Easy, so I'm I'm like a buy, and so play against me. I'm Easy. So let's get into the feedback too. Uh, we got a couple comments, critiques, concerns, applauses from the last episode. The first piece of feedback we have is from Reddit user Torshed who says, great episode. It's a little strange to talk about what is enabling these decks and not talk about the cantrips. The cantrips are really what are mitigating the clunky draws in the deck as they allow you to find your mana, trade uncastable cards for castable ones, etc. I also agree with Wilson's point that there is nothing wrong with having a four-color deck as in the past we've seen stuff like Supreme Blue and it didn't really take over the format. That's actually a really good point. The cantrip cartel in Legacy is just really responsible for a lot of of some of the more absurd things we see. Usually when we get new cards spoiled, the immediate reaction is to pair it with the color blue because, well, can't the cantrips are just so powerful. But I feel like lately, more than ever, blue is not nearly as powerful as it has been, right? Like before we were in the era of Terminus and then, you know, in the era of Deathrite Shaman. And now it just feels like it's time for non-blue to rise and like show the world, you know, well, I mean, it's already been doing that, right? Like Depths has been crushing online and paper meta alongside Mono Red Stompy. So I think that's, uh, sorry to interrupt there, but I think that's part of the problem, right? Is that these cards are enabling just any colors to play these blue cards, um, these blue powerful cantrips that now make 
other colors so uh, consistent? I'm going to disagree with both of you on this. Uh, so the London Mulligan has made decks more consistent without ever needing cantrips. I, and I agree with Anurag on that point, that blue is no longer required. So these depths decks, you're a lot more consistent without needing to cast Ponder or Brainstorm, which is why decks like Stoneblade and Miracles have kind of fallen by the wayside. I mean, Stoneblade came back for the Legacy uh, Challenge last week to fight off all these mono red stompy decks, but it's not because of Brainstorm and Ponder. It's because Stoneforge Mystic and the Batter Skull. And that's like percentage points that the blue decks used to have pre-London Mulligan where they were always more consistent. So that was the natural pull to play them. And post-London Mulligan, it's not there. But part of the reason we didn't talk about the cantrips in the uh, Ren and Six four-color snow episode is it's kind of just repeating yourself over and over. Most people that listen to competitive magic content already know about Brainstorm and Ponder and all the things that those do to decks that are blue. We don't really want to reiterate ourselves every episode talking about those cards. We kind of just want to talk about the meat and potatoes of the specific topic. That being said, though, you are right, Torsha, that the, the blue cartel will always, always, you know, be on the watch list. Although I, I guess Brainstorm is like the card that Forsyth said is like symbolic to legacy, much like Workshop is to Vintage. So it's never going to really go anywhere. Ban shops. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Also, I don't play enough vintage to actually have a reasonable opinion on it. But I do want to point out one thing that, you know, with Wilson's point, it's not necessarily the case that four color is a crime from a competitive perspective. I will say, like, in terms of, like, the sanctity and the holiness of, like, Magic the Gathering, right? Like, the color pie is something that I always thought was, like, super cool, and was just like, well, yeah, of course, Grixis is never going to have answers to enchantments, like, um, which is now not a thing anymore. But it, it does seem like that sort of sanctity or whatever you want to call it, like, is it, just no longer a thing, right? But that doesn't necessarily affect, like, the competitiveness of a deck. My, my real takeaway would rather be, like, the win percentage of the four-color deck and, like, scale, you know, my concern with Astrolabe and Ren and Six with how well that deck is performing. And, and right now, actually... If you want to look at it, Bob posted on Channel Fireball um, just like a compilation of like recent events and how good Four Color is doing. And actually, it's like very, very, it's like doing half as well as Mono Red and like depths and things like that. So, yeah, I think we're getting to that, um, that point in the meta where I, I think this happens every few months is something shakes the meta up. Uh, something crazy happens and then depths starts doing well and then once depth starts doing well mono red starts doing well then mono red starts doing well stone blade starts doing well and it's just i feel like we always come back to this point um okay cool so the next comment also by reddit user shell eight okay pretend i said that correctly I think the analysis here is spot on. As a Czech pile player, the quote snow mana base feels like a definite upgrade in terms of stability. The trade-off is you pay for it in tempo. Between Strix, Astrolabe, Cantrips, and Renin Six, the deck can sometimes feel like it's made of air. In a format as fast as Legacy, sometimes it means you just die before you can turn the corner. I'd agree with that. Snow versus, we'll say combo, and then snow versus... So like Delver and then like even Snow versus 
2020s, if that makes sense. I guess you could even like put like a moon somewhere there. And in each of these sort of situations, right, these are decks that largely just don't care about Ren and Six, if that makes sense, right? Combo will just like if you tap out on turn two for Ren and Six, suddenly Emrakul's like swinging for 15. The the mono red deck will just play Blood Moon on turn one, so you never even get to cast your Ren and Six. Uh, I mean, 2020s goes for without saying, right? Actually, the, the 2020 deck I think was doing really well, like like you mentioned, Eddie, because of you know, the rise of Ren and Six, I guess, and, and then Delver too, right? Sometimes they are able to just curve out Arcanist into Bolt into like True Name or some crazy things like that. So so there is all of that to consider. So there's something subtle that isn't talked about with Ren and Six. So Ren and Six and Plague Engineer kind of push Death and Taxes out of the metagame. And in doing so, these Depths decks lost their worst matchup because Death and Taxes is nowhere to be found unless your username is XJ Cloud. So all of the Krakus and sorts, the Poshers are kind of just missing from the metagame, which makes creating a 2020 very, very good. So I actually have a couple, I have a gripe with this, which is there are a lot of players, or at least I run into players online and I run into deck lists online where I see that, and maybe this is just because like I set the bar really high for like trying new things. Like I'll try almost anything out, but you see like a lot of deck lists that are cookie cutter deck lists. And I wonder if, you know, we need more people trying crazier things in like the stock lists, like just sort of going out of the bounds of our comfort zones, if that makes sense. To, to I don't know, just like turn match matchups like upside down on their heads. Like for example, one card I think is really good right now that is not played at all is Humility. But then again, I it's, it's tough because there are cards that are good in the format and there's a lot of new things that we could try out. I think later on when we get into the main subject of the cast we'll, we'll definitely go over a couple pretty crazy card choices that i think is are people doing exactly that just trying crazy cards to react to these new this new meta right why don't we head over to the next piece of feedback from peter vanderham at pvdh underscore magic on twitter thank you anurag love hearing the winter orb is bad arguments my thoughts on it are in the attached picture uh, for those of you wondering, you can head over to our Twitter account to see that. As always, a great listen in food for, food for Thought, as I'm primarily working on four-color snow decks lately. And then Lawrence Harmon from the Thirst for Knowledge podcast uh, had quite a bit of back and forth with Peter, and I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation, even though I didn't participate. So if you're interested in that, head over to our Twitter, at Eternal Glory Pod. Yeah, I just got out of a game today where I was playing with against Ren and Six, and I played a back to basics on turn like three or something like that. And then my opponent just got three more basics off of the one fetch land with their Ren and Six. And well, I proceeded to get obliterated. So that's definitely like, I don't know, the fact that Ren and Six is resilient enough through land hate is definitely one eyebrow raising quality about the card. But I would also say like, there's so many other things and angles that you can attack it from that, I mean, I'm not going to go into talking about banning Ren and Six anymore, but it is definitely like very powerful in fighting land hate. And then the last comment that we're going to go over today is by my favorite Californian Elves player guy. Wait, I didn't want to start any drama, so I really tried to make it very specific, but I'm talking about Jack Kendall, uh, who has played Elves for a long time, JJKBB 2005, I think, on Magic Online, and as an Elves player, and this is going to, we're going to transition this into the topic of the day, but just listening to the podcast, and I really disagree with you guys regarding Red and Six, 
What this card does differently and what makes it intrinsically more powerful is that it is a planeswalker. Whereas we have efficient removal for creatures, enchantments, artifacts, and lands, there still is yet to be a card that has the versatility of removing a planeswalker and possibly picking off a creature as well. Abrupt Decay is considerably attacks on most decks mana bases, uh, being green and black. Pithing Needle is largely too narrow. And while I agree that Death and Deathrite Shaman and Ren and Six are entirely different cards, Ren and Six essentially removing X1s from the format is not healthy for the format. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the whole mental misstep effect, but to a much more controlled degree. I think that's a good point. Yeah, what, what were you, what's your opinion on this, though? I actually disagree with Jack pretty heavily. I think that there's a little bit of bias being a forced player. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that green doesn't really have access to removing planeswalkers if you're not splashing black. So Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy, you're kind of pigeonholed into playing these uh, cards if you decide to play green. However, I disagree that there isn't versatility uh, with removing planeswalkers or possibly a creature. A personal favorite of mine is Magmatic Sinkhole. I'm in love with this card. I think it's so good. I know that we discussed that on a uh, cast recently, but I think Delverduck should be playing this card. There's also Dreadbore, Angrat's Rampage, Blue Elemental Blast slash Hydro Blast, Engineered Explosives, Council's Judgment, uh, Celestial Purge. There's a ton of ways of dealing with this stuff. You just have to be in other colors. And I think it's a little bit of a bias there. I understand that it's super good against elves, but I don't think there's anything wrong. We could, could play the Elder spell. Uh, there was one time I was playing a game match of Magic Online. It was on stream, and I had basically the Trinity out. I had Teferi, I had Jace, and I had Narset. And I just used all my Planeswalkers to answer the board. And I jokingly said, well, it'd be hilarious if they had the Elder spell here. That's literally the only card they could. And then, yeah, you get the idea. Next turn, all my Planeswalkers were gone. And I was like, legit just screaming, screeching. The Elder spell is a card, and it's terrifying. I can see where Jack is coming from as a person who likes to play creatures. Yeah, it's a different card than Deathrite Shaman. Deathrite Shaman was a, a tempo card. It, it ramped these mid-range decks and such. But Renin 6 kind of, I, I think it's a similar problem from a different angle. It's just not a fun card to play against. I think it it causes really strange play patterns that I would be happier without. I actually was Googling an article, and I forget what article this was, but it was like Watsy Design and how they were talking about whether it would be fun. This was back in 2009. It was like whether it would be fun to print a card that just said, like, destroy Target Planeswalker, right? And from my perspective, like, I think if I play my Jace for four mana, if I spend the whole game getting up to a point where I've, like, navigated around a daze and you know cleared the true name ticked up with the jace to play around lightning bolt and then suddenly you know destroy this jace like comes into play i'm just like well that doesn't really seem very you know like i don't feel like i got rewarded for, for playing good magic i don't know like for me like that's one reason why i i don't want that kind of card to exist but what i will say and maybe this is sort of one of the reasons why ren and six is a little egregious is that it's a two mana card it probably should not be a two mana card and that's maybe where like the, like if it was a three mana card or a four mana card like probably at four mana it would be unplayable and at three mana like it would just be like you'd have to play a deck that revolves around the card i don't know like the effects themselves are fine but the, the when you add in the cheap cost of the card maybe that's exactly maybe that's where i like see problems and things like that so I think Renin Six also adds to the problem of ha making the pl being on the play more important. 
in the format. And I, I think the the divide between a Ren and Six on the play and a Ren and Six on the draw is so huge. You know, being able to play it after your opponent has played their Delver or anything like that, honestly. Um, getting to recur your Wasteland sooner, it's just insane. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then also, that kind of makes me wonder, you know, just like if you look at Legacy right now, um, I was talking with a couple other people, and they were talking about how Legacy actually has sped up as a format. And Brian, I think you would agree with me on this. And I don't know, I don't actually remember if we've talked about this a lot. Maybe this is good for another topic. But if you look at the general, like, turn at which Legacy is operating, like when the Haymakers start coming down, would you guys agree with me that turn two is when we're seeing a lot of stuff coming into play? Mostly I'm thinking about Ren and Six and Dreadhorde Arcanist. 100%. And I know that we talked about this privately, but I would I agree with you that the fundamental turn of the format has become closer to two than it is three. Random aside, I guess Spell Snare might be a really good card to look into, but I mean, that's that's Preach. kind of also, yeah, just going back into all of this, part of the reason why this card might be so strong is that it comes down on turn two, can interact, especially on the play, like you're saying, Eddie, with their one drop in, in some ridiculous way. So that's going to be a good segue, though, because, you know, Ren and Six does have a partner in crime. She's not the only card that was released in Modern Horizon. Um, that has been seeing a lot of play in, in Legacy. And I'm not talking about Force of Negation. I'm talking about... Drumroll! Plague Engineer! Ugh. So today's topic... Yeah, exactly. Today's topic is going to be combating Plague Engineer with Tribal. And Tribal, we're going to use the word loosely, but when we talk about Tribal, we're talking about decks like, like humans, merfolk, elves. What else is on the docket? Goblins? Slivers? Can't forget our boy Daniel Nunez. We'll start with elves. Who wants to take it? Oh, man, this is this is rough for the elves players. I think elves is it's a good thing we started with elves because they probably take the hit the hardest. Plague Engineer shuts down elves on almost every access from the go wide attack access to the combo access because they have nothing to play with. Yeah, I mean, the Visionary Symbiote combo gets abruptly... Sh well, actually, yeah, yeah. Elvish Visionary immediately dies when Plague Engineer is on Elf. With all the Elves, like, nothing in play, you can't leverage the Gaia's Cradle for mana, which then becomes big because you can't actually, like, snowball your board, right? Like, generally speaking, like, the Elves deck will... What? what what's their turn one play? They'll either accelerate in mana or put an Elf into play that can do multiple things the next turn. So it's, like, very, like, synergistically based. And if you don't actually have one half of the, you know, the creature combo or whatever, then, then you your well your whole deck just kind of like shuts down right like even like natural order glimpse of nature these cards aren't nearly as good when you can't leverage every single piece of the elves deck and i'm not saying like the, the deck is um completely lost i mean we do have some stuff to talk about later in the cast but i do think compared to like you know decks like death and taxes and humans and and goblins and merfolk this this deck has the most x1s in in the stock lists yeah and a, a factor of that being that this deck doesn't play lords. It's not generally a chip away your opponent type of deck. It's it's an all-in combo deck that most of the time just wants to kill their opponent over one or two, one or two turns, right? It depends, because I know Julian would look at elves as more of like a Jun deck than like a combo deck, but it depends also like what stage of the game you're in. It is, it is a largely flexible deck, I'll give you that much, um, but I think Plague Engineer does a really good job at just cutting off a lot of options that the deck has and i've yet to see some really good ways that you know the deck can buy back the options that it's used to there's one more thing um brian you were talking about earlier 
how green is one of the colors that doesn't actually have good plane or sorry creature slash planeswalker removal without splashing a color and that does kind of like sort of price the elves deck into playing green and black um but that's like not nothing really new i guess if that makes sense i guess what i'm trying to say is is like if you're solidly into black and you only have abrupt decays sometimes it it feels like you are kind of like priced into drawing your your answer to an answer and that's 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 kind of like risky magic the gathering when you know you have to draw your x of you know, in order to win. I think that's kind of one of the reasons, like, why I'm not exactly, or I wasn't a fan of, like, modern at one point of time, because it felt like you just had to have a specific silver bullet, um, you know, at a very specific time, otherwise you lost, so. I think that you kind of just described counterbalance on Abrupt Decay on Rock. Is that not something that uh, was a battle for years? Yeah, actually, that's a good point. So, if we if we want to use something like that as a, as a, an analogy, I think the difference between counterbalance and Plague Engineer is what am i trying to say i'm trying to get to the sort of chaos elves version that julian had built towards the end of the top days that featured like multiple cavern of souls i don't know just like main deck gadictig and things like that right like what counterbalance did not do was completely strip you of the option to actually cast your creatures like you could still put them into play they would still there would still be like an elvish body in play or some sort of creature in play that you could leverage there's still tactics that you could use in the matchup. Whereas Plague Engineer is just like, it's so ridiculously powerful in the matchup. It's just like, you literally have to have something else that isn't an elf or elf-related combo to, to beat it. I think what I'm getting from you is that what Counterbalance did was stop anything from happening from this point on. But what Plague Engineer does is stop that and then also destroy your whole board, more or less. Um, which, you know, Miracles has 30 other ways to do that but not in one card, like playing Plague Engineer. I'd like to circle back to this a little bit later because we're not quite to the answers topic yet, but I do have a rebuttal at some point. Uh, So the next note is, I wrote this, not a knock on the elves community, but what I've seen from Reddit and a couple other places online is it looks like some of the leaders from the elves community have sort of audibled the other decks, and it's making some people wondering what they should be doing. Uh, so I, th- I didn't write this, but I guess Julian's been playing a lot of Bomberman recently. And I think that this could potentially be part of the issue. I'm not blaming Julian or anyone else for exploring other decks. That's something wise to do when your deck isn't good. I should probably do more of that. But the people that are dedicated to playing this archetype, they may not be the best tinkers. Like Julian's really good at coming up with new ideas and things like that. And I know that he's not the only good elf player, but maybe someone else could step up. For example, uh, the ant community, one person will step aside. Another person will come up and sort of take the torch. It's just, they're looking for someone to lead them and someone could be you. Yeah. Actually, I want to follow up on that. I, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the case that, um, ideas aren't coming forward but it could also just be the case that the ideas that are coming forward aren't necessarily working right like i mean one example is you could play lords but then like plague engineer still here's the thing with legacy right people change sideboards they don't change decks right people get pretty attached to decks that they play and unless you have like the bankroll to play everything or the network or whatever you generally will stick to one deck and you you know you really get into that deck and learn the the, the very detailed nuances of it and so i have to imagine that for someone like Julian to play like Bomberman at big events, like online in the challenges. I think at an MKM, he said at some point he was also playing Bomberman. It's not like he didn't try with the deck, right? So 
take that for what it, what it's worth. I don't I don't know. Julian will probably have some interesting commentary to give us for why maybe he hasn't played elves as much. I'm really looking forward to hearing that. Compared to all the other archetypes, I haven't seen too much done with elves, and I wonder if that's because the solutions just aren't good enough. So yeah, I guess let's let's transition to the next because we've got a lot of uh, deck, decks to go through. So let's talk about goblins. I think that plague engineer hurts goblins. I mean, plague engineer obviously hurts all the decks we're talking about today, but it it really hampers goblins in a few different ways. One of which is I think it makes some of the key goblins that people would play normally almost borderline unplayable goblin lackey for example similar to when deathrite shaman was in the meta and goblins wasn't a deck because goblin lackey could never connect i don't know if i agree with this sorry but like are we talking about renin six or are we talking about plague engineer because plague engineer isn't coming down to turn three if you play a terminal lackey you're getting one or two connections in before a plague engineer can even come down so at that point if you get one or two connections hasn't lackey sort of done its job I'm assuming that Plague Engineer is being played in a deck that is also playing a ton of spot removal. Sure, but we're just talking about like Plague Engineer versus Goblin Lackey at the moment, right? Sure, that's fair. Yes, like if you min-max how Goblins would work against like a stock Blue Soup, you know, Plague Engineer deck, right? Having the tool of Plague Engineer is pretty damning because it definitely makes future Goblin Lackeys just like not very good at all outside of like Lords and things like that. I, I do agree with Bryant that like the turn one lackey is still probably not going to have that much of an impact or is not going to be that much impacted by the Plague Engineer. But I, I do see what you're saying, Eddie, where it's just like all the X ones that are in the Goblins decks just become a lot more difficult. So Bryant wrote up a nice list of some of the X ones that, you know, are were currently played in Goblins. Munitions Expert. We've got Mog War Marshal. Actually, th- that one's kind of big, right? Because the whole principle of Mog, Mog War Marshal was you wanted it to die, and now it's not dying profitably, which is kind of crazy. You've got Goblin Matron, which technically does replace itself, and then Gem Palm Incinerator, but I don't remember the last time someone cast a Gem Palm Incinerator against me, so... Well, they don't cast it. They activate it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen it in play attacking for two alongside a Goblin Piledriver before. Okay, fine. That that's reasonable. But uh, value, a big one to me is Goblin Sharpshooter. In a world that Goblin Chain Roller exists, I still see Sharpshooter in lists. I did a ton of research for this episode. I scrapped through every single archetype's deck list. There's so many Goblin Sharpshooters. Why are people still playing this card? Chain Roller is a three-three with first strike. It just doesn't make sense to me. Archmage's Charm is like blue, 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 and it does everything a blue player would ever want, but it's pretty unplayable. And I mean, the Goblins decks are secretly like at least two colors, right? With like red and then colorless for like Wasteland, Cavern, and and Rishadon Port. So uh, maybe it's not as easy. You have you have Aether Vials, and it doesn't need to be cast on turn three reliably. Um, you mentioned another one, Brian, too, which was Sling Gang Commander. I, I really love this like card. This. That card is sweet. Yeah. Um, it, it it is a one one, right? I think it's a strictly better siege gang. Are we thinking of sling gang lieutenant? Oh yeah, yeah, it's lieutenant. I'm sorry, I might have wrote the wrong <laughs> name in there. My bad. Yeah, no problem. It's the four mana, one black, three colorless, one one that reads: When sling gang lieutenant enters the battlefield, create two one one red goblin creature tokens, and has the activated ability of sacrifice a goblin. Target player loses one life. You gain one life. Yeah, card sweet. It means you never, ever have to move your Aether Vial up to five ever again, which is kind of a big issue for goblins in the past, because if you then drew a ringleader off the top, 
you were kind of in a sticky situation where now with the goblin sec, you leave it on four for the rest of the game and all of your top decks are now live, which is pretty relevant against the blue stew decks. Yeah, I think that card's incredible. And the swing that that card provides when it lives is astronomical. Uh, the one downside of Sling Gang, though, is that with Plague Engineer, you don't really get a chance to sacrifice any of these goblins. They sort of just die. Where with Siege Gang Commander, uh, you could potentially, I mean, this is sort of dreaming and you're probably still in a bad position. But with Siege Gang Commander over Sling Gang Lieutenant, you could sacrifice the Siege Gang and kill the Plague Engineer. But at that point, you're probably not in a great spot. Yeah, five, five, five mana plus three mana. Sorry, no, sorry. Five mana plus two mana to kill one Plague Engineer, which theoretically could even get K-Commanded back. I don't know if we've talked about that, but like Plague Engineer being resiliently like recurred through spells like that, um, that that's that's a high premium that you got to pay to get the thing off the board. But I don't, I don't know. Like if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, that kind of leads into the whole Plague Engineer kind of dismantling the theme that is goblins, which is make a ton of 1-1 goblins, token or otherwise, and kind of go wide and kill your opponent. Half of your cards are turned off. Half of your cards that would generate 1-1 tokens are turned off now because this 2-2 basically blanks them. Yeah, you'd be pretty hard fought to find me uh, casting a Krenko, for example. Okay, wait, let me let me let me tell you this. There's one Merfolk player that I who frequently visits my, my channel. His name is Tuxdev, and he's been playing Merfolk for a long time, and he streams Merfolk too sometimes. So that's twitch.tv slash Tuxdev. I remember hearing a long a little while ago actually, uh, some frustration from Tuxdev that Plague Engineer was making true names so bad in his deck that he almost wanted to play a version of merfolk that had zero true names and just like 16 lords that sounds great that sounds great but also like the fact that plague engineer has that kind of impact well I, it's it's almost like merfolk is like super good because it's like true name tribal right you just put true name into play and then phantasmal image it like five times and then start you know just beating face Getting an island and walk in the blue mirrors <sighs> yeah exactly so the, so the fact that like you know plague engineer would even for a brief moment, make someone say, like, I don't want to play True Name Nemesis in my deck when it's the most broken thing you could be doing is, is pr pretty, pretty terrifying. So I think one of the bigger issues with Merfolk is that the deck actually plays a bunch of X1s before they get large. So Curse Catcher, Silver Gale Adept, and then recently Benthic Biomancer. But I don't like that card. I don't care if it can get bigger. I still don't think it's what you want to be doing. The, that's the thing in general, like with all these uh, tribal creature decks it's like you curve out basically you know from one two three four and all the one and two drops are generally like they're, they're going to be understated right that's just like how magic is designed so this is like the recurring theme where plague engineer is just taking advantage of the the low stats that you know these tribal decks are using to snowball into more dominant board states if that makes sense uh, maybe that's like an underlying reason for why plague engineer is so good is that it's doing enough to slow down these decks that are would you would you call okay this is just a random aside eddie would you call humans a snowball deck not particularly it can be i think um depending on the matchup but it's kind of a connect the right pieces together and kind of disrupt your opponent while you kill them deck i'd argue that humans is almost a tempo deck yeah i've often it's funny that you say that brent um i've often described humans as kind of the middle point between delver and death and taxes so i think one of the biggest issues with merfolk is that the deck actually doesn't play any main deck removal anymore 
It used to play cards like Vapor Sign and Dismember back in 2011, and Dismember is just a cyborg card. There's no Vapor Snags. The only actual answer that you have to a Plague Engineer is four copies of Force of Will. The decks don't play Days anymore. It's These decks have become Chalice Tribal. You're essentially playing Blue Dragon Stompy. Right. I mean, I think that's generally Merfolk's jam is don't care too much about what your opponent is doing. You know, deal with the really important life-threatening things and just kill them. Kill them with your unblockable Merfolk, right? I don't know. Like, Mutavolt's a pretty resilient card, you know. True name Nemesis Fantasm. We already mentioned Silvergill Adept like replaces itself, but the utility comes in the fact that it is like basically like a quote free two one body that gets stronger with all your lords. And so when you remove all of these like nice add ons from the full menu, it's just like maybe I should order elsewhere. You you get what I'm saying? Like what about your deck, Eddie? How do you feel about Plague Engineer against humans? <sighs> I I don't like this card at all. Tell me how you really feel. I like that sigh. It was just like such a like a real human you could hear the emotion in it well yeah yeah. go ahead eddie what's up it's just it's it's not a fun card it's a demoralizing card to be honest with you i guess it's biggest impact on the deck uh and i think this applies for death and tax and death and taxes and maverick equally is that plague engineer is a one card combo to combo that is thalia and mother of runes that's uh synergy of cards that is been tried and true for any white creature deck in legacy and this card just completely dismantles it with zero regard for what those cards do that's super interesting like thalia always feels to me like the card that punishes blue players for trying to play these xerox decks with all their brainstorms ponders days force of wills and that plague engineer is it comes into play first of all Kills the Thalia, second of all, and isn't even taxed by the Thalia, third of all. All three of these things, it just feels like this card is like, you know, in, in R&D that designed this was just like played against Thalia a couple too many times and was just like, all right, let's get rid of this card. Um, the sort of early tempo that you can gain from a turn one Mother of Runes and a turn two Thalia, that it's no longer really a thing uh, because of, well, okay, I don't want to say like no longer really a thing, but that Plague Engineer is so good against it. It definitely does raise a red red flag for me. Yeah, and it just creates strange play patterns that otherwise would be a little more straightforward for me. Because, uh, I mean, the only lord that I play in my deck is Thalia's Lieutenant, which has its positives and its minuses. The positives being that it's a lord that indefinitely pumps my creatures, right? So once I play it, all the creatures that were in play are now bigger. But all the ones after it, or not, but he gets bigger, I guess. Um, but it makes it so I value playing out creatures before Thalia's Lieutenant and having to take risky plays doing so um, in order to get that pump effect. Um, an example is the other day I was playing against the Snow Color, Snow Color Control is what I'll call it. And I had a lot of one drops. I had a Mother of Runes, a Noble Hierarch. I also had a Thalia and kind of was on, okay, if you have Playing Engineer... I lose. If you don't, then I play this Thalia's Lieutenant and I'm good for the rest of the game. They had the Plague Engineer and I lost that game very soon. Yeah, I feel like there should be more play to these matchups rather than do you have one card that completely hoses me? If you do, you win. If you don't, I win kind of deal. Like, I just don't feel like that's like, I don't feel like that's really good gameplay, you know? And I always kind of felt like Legacy was very robust enough or was robust enough such that we didn't really have that 
kind of problem, right? Like, even a deck like Black Red Reanimator, theoretically, you could at least, like, build your deck, you know, with, with, with a, enough appropriate sideboard hit or something like that. But Plague Engineer is like, what do you do, not play Thalia, Garden of Thraven in your, in your human's deck? That doesn't make sense to me, you know what I mean? That's, like, you're literally shattering the identity of the deck, so... So what about Meddling Mage? Couldn't you just Meddling Mage naming Plague Engineer? Yes, I, I could do that. Um, the problem with that is a few of these decks are playing now Plague Engineer and Toxic Deluge. So before, it was almost a hard lock against a deck like Grixis Control to play a Mother of Runes on turn one and then turn two named Toxic Deluge. Because at most they play one Deluge and then everything else is spot removal. But now they're playing maybe X amount of Plague Engineers in the main, maybe a couple more in the side, and then probably playing one Deluge somewhere in the 75. So it just, it makes things a lot harder on top of already having to kind of name the infinite amount of removal that they might have. And this just goes to like the power level of the card, the ubiquity of the card, when you combine it with how aggressively these control decks are trying to already kill creatures, it's just like over the top, so... Lastly, the last tribe, uh, Slithers, Slivers, Sliv- Sliv- Slithering Slivers. Uh, how do we feel about this match or this this deck against uh, Plague Engineer? I feel like there's some Slivers that get absolutely hosed, but I don't know if uh, my 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 first read would be that there's a lot of Slivers like Predatory Sliver and like Muscle Sliver that. Like all the this deck has a sufficient number of lords, but I guess you got your one drops and stuff like that that get completely beat up right yeah i mean like you said i think this deck plays more lords than any other deck we've listed so far just naturally but i think this deck kind of gets attacked at a different angle where because of all the lords i think plague engineer is you know still a potent threat and or sorry it is a potent threat but less so because of all the lords but i think because of decks that play plague engineer have picked up popularity fast combo decks have picked up in response to that and fast combo decks are not what slivers wants to see well i know that one slivers player uh, daniel noons plays force of will in his main deck but on top of that chalice of the void i've seen cyborg ether sworn canonists i would say that daniel has a pretty decent storm and or combo matchup post board i've also seen cards like leyline of the void it's almost as if the deck becomes not slivers post board Maybe that's what these other decks are going to do. Maybe maybe goblins aside, like Death and Taxes has a bunch of hate bears. Merfolk has Chalice and some counter magic with a couple of you know disruptive creatures. I I do like that we are actually like thinking about the impact of the metagame progression as well uh, in response to uh, Ren and Six to see how not only like I mean play, like Ren and Six is warping the meta for sure. How how would you classify your matchup against like Dark Depths, Eddie? And tribal in general against dark depths. I, for, for me, it's hard to say for others because I I play cards like Caracas, um, so it it really depends on what flavor of depths I'm playing against. If I get matched up against turbo depths, that's among my worst matchups. But if I get something closer like the green white depths that's been picking up or slow depths, if you will. I feel a lot better against those because it kind of gives me time to find the the hate pieces I need rather than just dying on turn two most of the time. Like the depth deck, which is clearly a reaction to Ren and Six Blue Soup kind of stuff, is very good at putting a 2020 that flies just over a bunch of these tribal creatures, right? So I wonder if 
like the metagame is also becoming a little bit more hostile to tribal decks just as a like that's like a splash damage from you know the printing of ren and six and plague engineer and things like that yeah um, and i mean uh I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that deck because that's one of the decks that just picked up plague engineer naturally as a sideboard option and oh, i think is, it is black rain yeah yeah every every op every deck list i've seen has is playing two now and that's just another scary aspect of that deck that i have to hope to dodge on top of the already complicated the 2020, 2020 flying legendary <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so let's move on to our second section how are some ways that people are currently adapting to plague engineer i know that one of my favorite people and i give him a ton of credit for this is xj cloud top aided a legacy challenge a couple weeks ago i believe with force of virtue the weight force from modern horizons you can cast it on your opponent's turn for free by exiling a white card and you get a glorious anthem ryan or his name's john john ryan right john ryan john is pairing it with squadron hawk and giver of runes these cards all get around Plague Engineer. Well, Squadron Hawk less so. But paired with Force of Virtue, it's actually a pretty respectable clock if they don't have the Plague Engineer. This is the kind of tinkering that I like. I like thinking outside of the box and getting a little crazy with your ideas. Seeing what's possible and then reeling it back in after you've experimented. Yeah, I think Squadron Hawk has some sweet synergies. Like, you get three more birds and you can pitch one to the force of virtue and then that that's kind of cool so it's not like you're actually like losing going down in cards giver of runes seems really really good as a replacement for mother of runes in a world of like we mentioned earlier just being on the draw against a ren and six deck you know you don't immediately lose your 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 uh, one mana creature and then um yeah all, all in all like i feel like this deck was a very very good reaction to plague engineer slash ren and six i have a couple reservations about this now that it's now that we're like a couple weeks into it i actually feel like the squadron hawk package might not be as good um and also that part of the reason that this deck list did so well maybe was because i have to imagine in the challenge where you know uh john went six and one he there were a number of times where you know his creature would have gotten uh down pinged by a red and six and he would flash in the force of virtue and just completely blow out his uh his opponent there right that that sounds like a sick play it happened to me the other day but i had the force of will um so i i got lucky but just like the the constant in the back of your mind like i have to respect this you know sort of thing is certainly something to think about um, yeah i mean i gotta be honest is 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 the true meta shift here to play squadron hawk or is it to just be xj cloud because that guy is so good at magic and dnt in general that he was still winning. I mean, he's one of the ones, one of the 1% Death and Taxes players that was still saying, I think Death and Taxes is in a fine position. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Where the rest of the world was saying, absolutely not. You're you're out of your mind. These are interesting adaptations. I, I think moving forward, we're going to actually be seeing a lot more of Giver of Runes in, yeah. in the metagame. I think the reason, we're, well, before, like, everyone kind of, like, I feel like when it was first printed, everyone was kind of, like, laughing at the card, just saying, like, well, this is just really nothing compared to Mother of Runes, right? Because it can't protect itself, which is kind of a big deal. I don't know, that and was here us. we are. That was us. Uh, I mean, I was going to go by saying it was, like, an unnamed entity, but... Can we say it was Everyday Eternal? Can we get away with that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, we, we, we may have been wrong, I think... It's okay. You guys were right in a vacuum. Love vacuums. As a metagame reaction, though, I think this that that's what makes this card really, really good. And in a world where we see maybe less red and six and less 
uh, giver of runes. I think we may see less, sorry, sorry, less Ren and Six, less Plague Engineer. We'll see less giver of runes. I, I did, I do want to give a shout out though that maybe to the, like the rate at which I'm seeing giver of runes, I'm seeing it a lot online, but even when I was doing coverage for Eternal Weekend Asia, I saw a lot of giver of runes out of the Death and Taxes decks there. So I think for people to immediately be picking up this card in a world where legacy is somewhat when it's one of the slower formats to evolve and adapt tells you how maybe necessary this kind of change is. one thing i like about squadron hawk sorry kind of a non sequitur there but is it's really good against terminus how does that make you feel on disturbed you know actually there was i was playing against death in texas this is like my subset of experiences where i was playing against the squadron hawk version i literally had to source to plowshares three squadron hawks because there was a sword of fire and ice in play and every time i cast a swords or flashed it back like i could just feel like you know like i'm losing like a quarter of my heart like a la zelda or something like that i don't know it was just like it was rough <laughs> so eddie how are you fighting back what are you doing to help beat plague engineer so I'm taking the approach of just trying to play more removal. And by that, I mean more removal creatures. So Re Reflector Mage, Deputy of Detention, Palace Jailer, cards like that. Um, it just, it's it's kind of what I have to work with right now. And I'm also testing cards like Dismember again. It's a card I used to play in the past, but it might be time to bring it back. Because this card, I can beat the first one. But then once they start bringing in another one or start killing the creatures that are already in play, it's really hard to beat for me. I will say that Phantasmal Image has become a card that I've become enamored with over the last few weeks because it, on top of making the deck a little more consistent, it gives me more copies of Reflector Mage and uh, also lets me copy their Plague Engineers. And I've had cases where I name Carrier with my copy of Plague Engineer, and then it, I can slam a Orzhov Pontiff to deal with theirs. It's a lot, but it's kind of what I have to work with right now, unfortunately. Um, and then post-board, I start kind of taking out some of the X1s that would be there normally, and I become a little more of, I guess, what you'd call a zoo deck. I play stuff like Knight of Autumn, Deputy of Detention... Um, like I said, Phantasmal Image, to kind of s spread Plague Engineer thin as much as I can. Cool. So I know that Fanatic, with two Ts, plays a lot of Merfolk online. What I found was, I know that Anurag mentioned Tuxdev is the Merfolk player, but what I found is that Fanatic took second in the last Legacy Challenge, but also just has a bunch of 5 lows with Merfolk. So I was analyzing their deck list. I was shocked. I saw Benthic Biomancer, which just gives me chills because it's so bad against Plague Engineer. And no Phantasmal Images. I thought for sure in a world run by Plague Engineer, you'd want to be copying your lords to get bigger. And that just wasn't the case here. Uh, Fanatic is running Forger Names, Merfolk Tricksters, Benthic Biomancers, Coral Helm Commanders. I do like Coral Helm Commander because it becomes a 4-4 Flying Lord, which flies over the Death Touch body of Plague Engineer. So that's super sweet. But I know that Eddie disagrees with me with this, but what is Merfolk Trickster doing in this deck list other than tapping down giant Merrill Ages? I just don't understand. 
Oh, Merfolk man. Trickster seems so insane. Don't you get yes. to like turn their plague engineers into like nothings for a turn? Yeah, so that's what I was that's what I was arguing is that's what I'm gonna try to argue is that I think that card sure it's conditional in that they have to be they have to be tapped, right? It taps them. Right? Oh, it taps I them. I believe so. We none of us have Google. We can't figure this out. So Merfolk Trickster taps target creature, uh, and then it loses all abilities until end of turn. Right. Okay. Now I know. So uh, this card, I think, just deals with so many of the problem cards that that Merfolk usually has to deal with. Um, Plague Engineer being one of them, you can just swing in, and if they block thinking they're being all smart with their Death Touch Plague Engineer, boom, Merfolk Trickster. You have a 1-1 that does nothing, and all my guys are bigger because the minus 1, minus 1 clause is gone. Um, Not to mention, yeah, Honorog brought up Merit Lage, which I didn't even think about. I brought that and, up. Oh, sorry, Bryant. You're so smart and handsome. And, and thin, right? No. Wait, oh, why yeah. aren't you I'm saying he's thin? thin? What? <laughs> <laughs> Been eating too many peanut butter M&Ms recently. But I, I like the Tux Dev strategy more. I like playing a bunch of lords, 16 lords, just becoming huge and then swinging through. That's my style. I'd rather just go over. I think the issue with that, though, is... Um, yeah, more lords in a perfect world is like the place to be because they just counter Plague Engineer. But when your opponent starts playing these spot removal spells, it kind of turns into a house of cards, right? Where they kill the first lord, kill the second lord, and then suddenly all of your X1s are gone too. Plague Engineer means that you have to have a second lord in play. And then at what point is, like, how many lords are you going to say you have? in play before it's too much. You know what I mean? Like you can have four lords in play to beat every single situation. Right, which is one of the reasons I don't... I'm actually really happy that they cut Phantasmal Image from the um, from the Merfolk list because Phantasmal Image in my deck is sweet. I copy a Thali's Lieutenant, and like I said, my my creatures stay big forever. And if, if they kill that uh, Phantasmal Image, and it's a very fragile card because it reads that if you target it at all, you have to sacrifice it. So that's just another lord that becomes easily dealt with with something like a Renin Six, for example, because you just minus one the the phantasmal image and then kind of that house of cards effect starts happening, right? Sure. But it could also be a churning nemesis that can't be the target, or it be- could become the Merfolk trickster that then taps the plague engineer. Right, but in any situation where you're not copying a lord, do you see how like it becomes trickier to Set up that navigate the yeah, game. impregnable fortress or whatever. One thing I I, I don't know. I, I I am a huge fan of Merfolk Trickster. I feel like this also one one aspect of you know the Merfolk deck in my mind is that you put a bunch of creatures into play. You start swinging in the early game. Suddenly your opponents at like maybe 10, 10 life, and maybe the Merfolk Trickster is what you need to push through the damage to beat your opponent. Like they tap out on turn three for this Plague Engineer, and then you go like, all right, Cavern of Souls, Merfolk Trickster. You've got a one one it's tapped i swing in for you know the rest of the damage or enough damage to to beat the engineer right because they still have to pay the three mana the cost for engineer and that's that's it seems like merfolk trickster is the kind of card that would exploit the tempo loss that is required to put plague engineer into play if that makes sense absolutely and back to what brian first said when we were talking about this list um coral helm commander is such an incredible evolution of this list i think that card is so sweet right what do you think about it thank you five minutes ago 
I thought we agreed on this, Eddie. Come uh, sure, on. Sure, we agree, but I now I want to talk about what it does, right? Like it becomes a four four flying lord and, and then it crushes Kevin Spacey's house of cards. It just goes right over. Yes. I think that's so awesome. I just the fact that for I think it's only the first level it becomes or I guess level two, it becomes a three three flyer. That's incredible. That's that's that that's a card that doesn't care about Plague Engineer on any axis. You know, it doesn't die to it, and it flies over it. The delta between a 2-2 and a 3-3 without any Lord effects, to clarify, is, is pretty big, I think. I am I agree with you. Thinking about this a little bit more, this card actually seems very impressive. And then how much more mana do you need to make it a 4-4 Lord? See, it's level 4, right? Okay, so. I think the only thing that Korahum Commander really has going against it is that it's a prime uh, Fatal Push target, being 2 mana. It's just easily killed. One thing I do like about Fanatic's list, though, definitely, and we haven't talked about it yet, is the sideboard. If you look at the sideboard of Fanatic's list, it is absolutely stacked against Plague Engineer and I guess Renin 6 to a degree. Three Dismembers, two Vencers, and two Echoing Truth. So much removal. And I don't know if you'd boarded all of this stuff against you know the Plague Engineer decks because, well, you'd probably dilute your deck too, way too much to sustain it all. But I do like that the sideboard is very, very well equipped for that kind of card. Why don't we head over to Goblins? I think that a benefit that Goblins has over the other premier legacy tribal strategies is that Goblins has existed since the game's inception, which means that there's Goblins dating back to 1993. So there's more choices to play compared to other strategies. So I know humans has been the hot thing recently, but all the humans are fairly new. Same thing with a couple of these other decks where Goblins, there's potential answers sitting around 1996, 1997, those sort of things. And I know that a lot of the cards we've discussed so far are pretty new, but you have to go backwards to try to figure out, hey, what are some possible answers I could be playing? And I'm not saying start playing Goblin Balloon Brigade to fly over your... I guess that's a 1-1, so it's a bad example, but to fly over Plague Engineer. But there's some cool cards that might exist that you could go back and look at. And I know that Merfolk has existed since the beginning as well, but Merfolk's kind of been like the redheaded stepchild of tribal strategies, where it only gets a new card like once every four or five years, sadly. It's just not a very popular strategy in Wizard's eyes. Yeah, one of the newer cards that I really like and I think can do will do is doing wonders for this archetype is goblin crater maker huge fan huge huge fan of the goblin crater maker it the card does everything honestly it's it's a 2-2 so it already doesn't die to plague engineer you pay one colorless and you do two damage to a plague engineer and what's his toughness guys oh Wow, that seems good. It could also be 15 if the creature is an Emrakul. Isn't that crazy? You could literally kill Emrakul the Aeon's Torn with Goblin Crater Maker? All right, you guys convinced me. I'm registering Crater Maker in my next Miracles list. All right, let's go. But there's also another new Goblin that's so good that people are playing. Usually it's a two-up. Goblin Trashmaster. People don't talk about it, but this card is effing nuts. So it kills Batterskull which was a huge issue for goblins in the past. People love to talk about how death rate killed goblins. Batterskull had a huge part. The deck had to play cards like the, uh, I'm going to blank on the name of it, but it's an ally that deals damage to whenever it destroys an artifact or something, but it was also a goblin. Cost four mana, it was so bad. But with Goblin Creator Maker, you get a lord that's actually playable. That's a 3-3 that happens to destroy artifacts too. 
Yeah, I think Trash Master's awesome. There's also, I mean, actually, Goblins has gotten a lot of support recently, and I think it's actually showing. So there are two cards that I want to talk about. The first is Munitions Expert. That card seems insane to me. How many Goblins actually have Flash? Because this one does. It does, but it's also a 1-1, which makes killing Plague Engineer kind of tough. So if I was to be playing Goblins, I'd probably just be maxing out on Goblin Crater Makers and not playing Munitions Expert. But another option you can play is Tarfire, which is super sweet. Kills Plague Engineer just dead. I uh, for if I need to make a comment on Munitions Expert real quick. I will disagree that I, I the card is it's so good. I think it's too important not to play. But with that said, it is super hampered by Plague Engineer because I mean by its it already doesn't count itself if Plague Engineer is in play, and you have to hope that you have had x2 goblins in play already for it to be good um sorry continue to tarfire tarfire is just great you can also finish off the last two damage on a run in six so if your opponents maybe kill the goblin lackey tarfire it's just a little bit more flexibility than it had before if they're plussing your your creatures aren't dying so i guess that's okay yeah i mean you could also like it could be like a really good sideboard card. I haven't actually seen it in, in any of the recent lists, but I do want to give a shout out to Goblin Lackey 1 and a bunch of the other Goblins crew uh, members for their recent innovations with the list. One cool list that we saw or that Goblin Lackey 1 has posted is a four color list. And this brings up the next card that uh, I want to talk about in this deck or just in tribal decks in general. And that's Unsettled Mariner, which is an Azorius... It's just blue-white for a bear that says, uh, let's get the exact text on it, but I think it's like every time you get targeted, you or a creature you control gets targeted. They have, like Your opponent has to pay one extra mana, otherwise you counter the spell or ability that targets it, which is really big when you think of... Uh, when you think of things like Renin 6 ticking down to kill a creature, for example, having to pay one extra... Like, like the Suppression Field-esque ability... Uh, really does actually like the taxation does add up over time uh even like like against like tendrils for example right it technically does oh okay Stop well that. it <laughs> it does make your opponent have to pay a bunch of mana card is bad don't play it yeah okay opposite of brian's point card is good do play it <laughs> i've like played with this card mana. and like it, it kind of covers every part of the spectrum like the storm of the format you know getting tendrils or the dnt side of the format this card is so good against umazawa's jite having to play pay one mana to activate jite makes that card much worse yeah it makes it a lot worse i didn't actually think about that there's just like so many random things that you have to think about like rishadon port jace the mind sculptor sort like a source to plowshes i guess is the the easy one it's it's very it's very subtle interactions that the DNT player suddenly is so choked on mana. I was playing against one once and they were tapped out, and I was attacking for lethal, and they flashed in a flicker wisp targeting my champion of the parish. It did not resolve. So to bring it back to goblins a little bit, uh, a goblins player was playing unsettled mariner in goblins, and Anurag put it in our chat. The problem I have with this is now you're playing a tertiary color and you know a fourth color just to support hey, hey, this hey, card hey. i think that's okay <laughs> but you're also playing lands that tap for those colors so this five this four color goblins list had some of those five color lands that eddie's deck plays 
But on top of that, it still has basic mountains and a couple other things in there, like wasteland and ports. It seems like a stretch to play this card. I know you have the Aether, Aether Vial. I know that you have Goblin Matron. I I'm personally, I think this is a little too wild. This is one of those ideas that I think is okay to try and then reel it back after trying. In the long run, I don't think this is a Goblin's card. I know it's a shapeshifter and you can theoretically play it, but I think it's a little bit more suited in a deck like Slivers or Humans. So while while I do understand your trepidation towards the card, I will say the results that have been cited by the Goblins crew with that specific list that you're referencing. So just just to get some context in, we're talking about this list that has two Crater Makers in the main deck, three Mariners, four Munitions Experts, and one card that we actually haven't talked about in the Goblins framework, which is Goblin Pile Driver. I think this card is also very good. W- would you call this card? I feel like this card seems really good in a world of Red and Six and, and Plague Engineer. It's a 1-2 that gets really big really fast. But what's attacking with it? Exactly. I was going to ask that same question. Nietzsche! Is, yeah, it's a 1-2 that can potentially be big, but you have to have other things to make it big. Yeah, and so n- next on our list is slivers um, for how people are adapting. And I don't know if you guys saw, but in a Legacy premiere event, the MCQ that I top-aided... <coughs> Um, there was a sliver player that brought a very peculiar list, I guess. Um, it main decked four standstills. How do you guys feel about that? That actually makes a lot of sense, right? If you think about it, like slivers is, I mean, any Aether Vial deck could theoretically main deck standstill. In a world where you're trying to fit Force of Will into your, into your slivers deck, it's not really that absurd. They finished at 6-2, and two, which is a really good record, and I have to wonder, well, I mean, in a world where you've got Gale Riders, Crystal and Slivers, that's very good. Slivers get onto the board real hard, real fast. In a world that where your deck also plays Ancient Ziggurat, though? This list is configured quite a bit different from what we're used to seeing from the famous Sliver player, Daniel Nunes. Um, this player is playing a... Oh, they're I actually guess, not well, playing it. Yeah, they're playing what I'd, you know, a slightly more normal mana base where they're actually playing dual lands but they're also playing stuff like swords to plowshares stubborn denial force spike it's 2019 we're in the future insert me oh my god i mean i would have preferred if it was a mana tithe but you know (laughs) i digress (laughs) so eddie why don't we talk about some of the uh recommendations we have from you i haven't been following you recently but I think that Mana Strider would be insane in humans right now because even through a Plague Engineer, it's a 2-2 flyer with haste and vigilance, which means it can stop the Plague Engineer from attacking you back after you get in there for two damage. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually 5-0'd with a Mantis Rider list about a week ago. How was the card? Um, the card was good when it was good, but really bad when it was bad. Um, I, I, I really liked it and it was particularly good when Plague Engineer was in play, but the card still suffers from what I think of it. It's always suffered from is that it doesn't do enough when it enters play. Like often three damage, three haste damage isn't good enough in legacy. Even in a world where Merit Lage is super popular. It's, it's better, but one thing about this format is Baleful Strix will always exist. Baleful Strix and is not super popular right now, though. 
I think people I think still, still play it. a little bit of play, but I kind of get what you're saying, Eddie, which is like when you look at humans from a thematic perspective, it's like you mentioned earlier where the deck is really just about, well, it, it puts a clock and then it has some very disruptive creatures. And I get that Mantis Rider is somewhat of a clock, right? 3-3 three, three haste. But I feel like you have better rates in terms of damage and in terms of disruption. Well, this doesn't really offer anything, right? Right. And again, it, it's still just a huge tax on my mana. Um, have being two specific, three specific colored manas, blue, white, and red. It it makes my land base a lot more stretched than it needs to be because cards like Wasteland can't pay for it. And I have to hope to have a vial or three colored sources. So have you considered a change in philosophy? So I know that you touched upon it earlier, but playing a meddling mage, name plague engineer, and then just start playing tons of images to shut off all your opponent's outs. Like, have you tried to become like more of a chanting duck? That's that idea is great in concept, but usually not that reliable in practice, um, especially with phantasmal images, because I think the number for phantasmal images and legacy for my deck, at least is one to two max, um, especially in a format where people are playing Renin six and, Renin 6 always kills Phantasmal Image, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that seems like a huge downside to Phantasmal Image, but still, the upside of the card seems like if you can copy Athalia's Lieutenant, that's just such a big game for the lingering plus one, plus one counters to, to remain on the board. So, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Goblins, though. What do we have for that? Well, I guess uh, Chain Roller doesn't kill True Name Nemesis, right? And that's a big issue that Goblins has had in the past, is not being able to kill True Name. So they have card options like War and Weirding, which does kill Plague Engineer. It also kills True Name Nemesis. But on its own, it's not super good. And then there's cards like uh, Anurag. You could say this card because I certainly can't say it, right? Pashalic Mons? I'm guessing this is what it is. I've seen this in a lot of Goblins lists lately. Uh, so what this card says is when it dies, when Pashalic Mons or another Goblin you control dies, Pashalic Mons deals one damage to any target. Well, it has built-in protection from Plague Engineer, which means that you can play it or your opponent can play a Plague Engineer. It will cause all of your creatures to die to the Plague Engineer static effect. Uh, Pashalik Mon's triggered ability will happen. You can then kill the Plague Engineer, which is super, super nice. Uh, Another thing to kind of point out there is that it can potentially cause Plague Engineer to be lethal to the person casting the Plague Engineer. That's a good point. So say you're a Goblins deck, you beat your opponent by attacking them. You put them to five, and you have five one ones in play. All those one ones are going to die and potentially kill your opponent. Yeah. So it forces your opponent to spend a turn removing the Pashalic Mons, which, you know, in a deck like Goblins, time is super valuable, and that can be the difference between winning or losing. Yeah, it's actually interesting, too, because these Goblins decks are also playing, what, like, Trashmaster, Skirk Prospector, and even the Sling Gang Lieutenant. These are all, like, sacrifice outlets for, for the Goblins deck, so I, I guess at one point, one way you could look at it is, like, maybe you can't necessarily connect, you know, damage because your creatures are too weak or something like that, so you just sneak past and go to the face. I like that a lot. There's also the oldie but a goodie, Pyrokinesis. Certainly kills multiple Plague Engineers, then. That one also seems pretty exciting, but it's a little bit resource-intensive, and if the blue deck keeps in things like Force of Wills or whatever, it could be could be risky. But I do I do like it. It's a card that definitely should. 
how often do blue decks keep enforceable against eh, goblins? That's though? a good question. Maybe the plague engineer decks aren't, but forcing an aether vial or a chalice of the void is pretty big game. Sorry, I was just gonna say I'm really jealous of pyrokinesis. If my deck had access to an effect like that, I think whew, take the world by storm. Why don't we uh, come back to elves? So, what are th- some things that elves can do? Well, one, you can continue to play Assassin's Trophy and Abrupt Decay because they're fine cards. You're already playing black for discard spells. But other than that, you can play value elves like Sylvan Messenger. It's a 2-2. It gets you more elves, including lords. But I think a strategy that isn't talked enough about is just playing other creature types. Try playing more non-elves like Scavenging Ooze, for example. Or a bigger elf like Rensrung Packmaster, which makes wolves. So now you have a 4-4 Death Touch elf that makes Death Touch wolves. It runs run Packmaster is actually a 5-5, five, five, but in a world where the Plague Engineer is already in play, it's a 4-4. Four, four. And then you could, you know, maybe play a Progenitus in your deck, which swings through the Death Touch body of Plague Engineer. And I think, like always, I have this strategy of, if someone's looking to do one thing against me, I want to do another. So if they're boarding in all this graveyard hate, I want to become a deck that doesn't use my graveyard. So I think that maybe these decks could be, become natural order decks. Boarding your Thought Seizes, boarding your Cabal Therapies, and then protect your Natural Orders. Maybe play a fourth copy of Natural Order in the board because so many decks only play three. And then use your Symbiotes, your Scavenging Oozes, your Dryad Arbors, and just make sure your Natural Order resolves. And then put that Progenitus into play and don't look back. Just swing twice, connect, kill them. Yeah, I think that's sort of like what's happened to Red and Six to a degree is that a lot of decks are choosing to, rather than like deal with the Red and Six, is just like completely ignore it. And I kind of like that perspective too, right? Find ways for the Elves deck to, I mean, obviously it's kind of tricky because you still have to like sack a green creature in natural order and things like that. But, you know, at least making your deck closer and closer to that sort of shell is very interesting. One deck, one list that Eddie and I saw the other day uh, was, was by MTG user Hello Newton. Newton and boy. this deck list was insane. So I don't actually have it on me because it was just in a Facebook chat or whatever. But but Newton was playing four copies of get this Elvish Reclaimer in his Elves deck, and he had the Thespian stage and Dark Depths combo in the main deck. So that's pretty insane. Like imagine just like Gaius Cradle with Wirewood Symbiote and Elvish Reclaimer, and then you just put the combo into play in one swell, you know, one quick turn or whatever fell swoop that's what i was trying to say and then you know suddenly it's just like they have a plague engineer but there's a 2020 that's gonna you know come and come and get at them so that kind of innovation i think is insanely awesome i like that elves is one of the only decks in the format that could quickly make 30 mana to pay for dark depths (laughs) that's really funny actually um but I think something that's interesting about Elvish Reclaimer is it gets utility lands like Bajuka Bog or Krakus, depending on the matchups. And something that's always slightly bothered me about Elves is that every single list plays a one of, uh, I'm blanking on the card name now, uh, Pendlehaven. For, but there's no way to ever search for it because so many lists don't play crop rotation. They're just like, I'm going to draw my one of and get you. But he is sent out for uh, Ren and Six, though. Sorry, you might have mentioned this, but he's also playing a couple copies of crop rotation. In addition to those reclaimers, so like he's actually just putting a completely different angle to this deck. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that a lot, and that's kind of like what Bryant was saying earlier, right? Just like shift gears, stop driving forward into the plague engineer, reverse, drive around it. It's also a um, two-three through a plague engineer, 
which means that you can attack into it, force them to block or trade, or maybe attack their Renin 6. The card's very good. It becomes their little elfy goif. The secondary effect is like not which is which is the passive, right? Which is like it gets plus two plus two if it has uh if there are three lands in the yard. New- Newton's always coming up with crazy deck lists and stuff and will often send me stuff and I'm just like, yeah, okay, Newton. But I looked at this one and was like, wow, this is actually genius. This he hit it on the head with this one. Why don't we head over to Merfolk? I know that I've mentioned this a couple times so far, but I'm not a fan of Benthic Biomancer. I'd rather see Phantasmal Images in this slot. I don't think you have to play a one-drop Merfolk in your deck. If there's no good one-drops in the format to play around cards like Ren and Six or possibly Plague Engineer, just don't play them. Play Phantasmal Image, copy your Lords, copy your True Name Nemesis, whatever matters in that matchup. I think Phantasmal Images would be a better choice over not very good one-drops. And uh, one thing about Fanatic's list that I absolutely loved, and Anurag, I want your opinion on this, the addition of Waterlog Grove, because the decks no longer play Islands, and it plays around Choke. But the question I have for you is, is there a reason to only run four? Because there's other blue sack lands now. You can play up to eight. What's the right number? I, I don't know. I'm just rambling, but it seems super cool to me. I think part of the reason that I like this card is because it just gives you longevity in the games, uh, in just in all your games. What I, I think the restriction here, though, is that you still have to fit everything else into your deck, and there are diminishing returns to the the cycle, the canopy lands, I'm sorry, right? Like, the eighth one is probably not going to be as good as the first, the second, the third one. And also, if you think about it, right, like, the damage probably adds up, especially when you have, like, eight of them in your deck. I do think uh, the first four are pretty good, especially in a world where you've got, like, Benthic Biomancer. Could I see... I could see five or six. Yeah, that's not unreasonable, but I can't imagine that... I mean, Cavern of Souls seems way better. Mutavault seems way better. And you do want to have some number of islands just to have a clean mana base. So it's uh, it may have just been like a plug and chug kind of thing. And you could probably tweak that number based on whatever you want. It could also give you access to some random sideboard cards too. But that's neither here nor there. Okay. So one thing that I think the white base tribal deck. So Death and Taxes, Maverick, these decks should be playing. And I mentioned this earlier. Celestial Purge. I am super high on this card right now. Because it exiles Ren and Six. Exiles Hodak and Merit Lage. Or Hogak. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> Cute. listeners. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> but I, I just think it's so good. It also exiles Plague Engineer. I yeah. think it's a super versatile cyborg card at the moment. If you're playing white, please do it for me. Put a Threshold Purge on your board. Maybe put five of them. Don't tell a judge. Just play as many as you can. And theoretically you could play council's judgment but i'm actually pretty low on this card at the moment due to its sorcery speed against merit lage yeah it's pretty clunky i myself have some issues with council's judgment while i do like council's judgment against cards like true name nemesis i have to say that the stock of this card has gone down significantly due to um like you mentioned merit lodge maybe unexpectedly absent but that card is kind of kind of medium so i don't know but yeah, just wrapping up now in general, uh, I think these are some pretty good tips. The macro is going to be usually like, you know, try to play cards that, are, first of all, aren't X1s. Try to play cards that are Lords to pump the rest of your squad. Or, you know, maybe just pivot entirely. 
It's getting pretty late here, so we're going to wrap this episode up. Once again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Eddie, so much for joining. Um, we're really grateful that you were able to join us today, Eddie. Wilson's going to come back next next time, and he's going to tell us about all the fishing stories from, from this past week. So look forward to that. And on that note, we'll see you next time. This is the Eternal Glory Podcast. Thanks, Eddie. Com.